I'm not even going to introduce it this at this point. Now they're just calling us all kinds of names, all kinds right. of names, no. potheads and whatever else. Beavis, yeah. Just a <laughs> yeah, are they the ones that said, "Are you threatening me?" Is that Beavis and Butthead? Uh, no, they their famous line was. Uh, uh, they're like Aerosmith shirts and. Stuff oh, like but that. the kids would say it to their moms and get in trouble. Uh, it was really disrespectful line. I'll look it up in a minute. But anyway, <laughs> um, we should Google it. We, we should Google everything. Google everything. Google? You're not familiar with that. Um, so when we were at the uh, AADSM, and I was actually it was the NADSM, right. um, I heard you speaking about, I think you called it moments of impact. Yeah. And I remember you talking about a, if I go see my regular physician mm-hmm. and he says, look, Ernie, you've got a, you got hypertension. And right. he says, let, let, let me tell you about, or, or maybe he says, you need to have this procedure. Yep. Let me tell you what this is going to cost and what your insurance is going to be like and what your deductible might be. No. <laughs> he says, you've got this issue. Let's Here's go. what you need, need, need yeah. to do next. And, you know, talk to the front desk about your next appointment. Talk to your insurance company about your insurance. But that oftentimes, uh, dentists will get caught in a trap <sighs> talking to somebody about sleep apnea and get into this spin out yep. on on the topic. So you couldn't, you couldn't have called it a better thing. It's yeah. a spin out. It's like a flat spin and you yeah. can't get on it. So you're right. There's a, there's a mistaken, um, we've talked about leadership and management. So, uh, for a lot of us as dentists, we set up an excellent management checklist of things that we want to do to accomplish something that is the wrong thing to accomplish. And by that, I mean, because we're used to being dentists, And we're used to worrying about how do we get paid because in dentistry, there is no such thing as insurance. We call it insurance, but it's a misnomer because if you looked up the word insurance in the dictionary, it says when a third party takes the risk for a catastrophic loss, if your house burned down, open heart surgery, if you totaled your car, if you totaled your car and you went to see the gecko, not a Geico, and he said, here you go, mate, here's 1500 bucks. You say, where's the rest of my money? You say, that's all we covered. You choked that little boy until his eyes popped up, right? (laughs) There was some green goose going over. <laughs> so if car insurance only covered the first 1500 bucks, and it's supposed to be for a catastrophic loss, you wouldn't call it insurance. If it covered oil changes, lube jobs, and filters twice a year, new wiper blades every three years, new tires every five years, you'd call that a maintenance plan, mm. not an insurance plan. And that's the problem here with, with dental insurance. It's not insurance. And so we're used to having to set up systems in our practices to make sure that when we have a three or a five or an eight or a $10,000 expense with patients in a treatment plan, we're going to get paid. And we're really good at setting up these exquisite systems and explaining the co-payments, deductibles, and everything like that, because there's going to be a lot of out-of-pocket. Doesn't work that way in medicine. In medicine, just like you said, you go to the doctor, they say, we're going to get some x-rays today, draw some blood. Nobody says, the cost for that procedure is this, the down payment is this, the co-payment is this. So we actually make it harder for people to commit to doing what they need to do that's medically necessary. We get a letter, L-O-M-N, letter of medical necessity, medical necessity. It's not optional. Dentistry is thought of as this optional purchase that has a first $1,200, $1,500 coverage and then nothing. And medicine usually has a $1,000 or $5,000 deductible. Doesn't even start till dentistry is off the table. So when a physician says, it's a torn rotator cuff. I need to do surgery. Nobody goes over the finances. You need a knee replacement. Nobody goes over the finances because it's medically necessary. And the moment we start to play 
the not medically necessary conversational game with patients that we brought with us from dentistry, then we set up these systems that work against us. I worked for the practice once that was getting 60 referrals a month, 60, 60. Patients walking in from a hospital setting with a mm-hmm. sleep test and a prescription in their hand. And they were doing 14 devices a month. Wow. So it's 22% closure rate. Yeah. They knew they were in trouble. They knew they should be doing more. They asked me to take a look. And even before we looked, we talked. And I got some ideas beforehand. So I came in with some, some pre-ups of what they were doing wrong. And sure enough, when I watched them for half a day, um, they had this extensive financial conversation with the patient. They explained the cost of the procedures, the benefits, the likelihood or unlikelihood of what insurance may or may not cover, how much their deductible and copayments might or might not cover. And they had them sign a financial agreement that showed that they'd be responsible for all of this if it wasn't covered. And then they made them make a down payment before they'd schedule their first appointment. They created a wall. In customer effort score language, they made it almost impossible to do business with them. Mm-hmm. I suggested casually that if we take down that wall and just quit talking about money and treat it like they do in medicine, you'd probably close more. We took down all those walls. They were, I, I want to say crap in their pants, but they were shit in their pants. <laughs> and um, they did it though. I got to give them credit, they did it. And in one month, they went from 22% to 80%. Shortly thereafter, they went from 80% to 90%. Now, just think about the math, 60 from uh, 14 to 90%. That's uh, 54 out of the 60 they were closing. That's 40 more devices a month, four zero times, I don't know, let's say $2,500 a device, yeah. that'd be hundred grand a month, that'd be $1.2 million yeah. in incremental business. If some of those patients didn't pay, if 10%, it's not, but if 10% didn't pay, That'd be 120,000 of the 1.2 million. You still have $1,080,000 in incremental income that you didn't have yesterday. Right. So when you're talking about cost of acquisition, what about the cost of loss, opportunity loss and cost? So they made the transition. They did all this. But the story here is that they had set up an excellent system for protecting themselves from not getting paid. But that system also got in the way of the patient saying yes. The patients do not come into medicine asking, What is this going to cost? They know that medical insurance will cover it. They know that they have a deductible. They know that they have a copayment. But when we start to go all down on them in that arena, they start to drift back away from us as if it's optional. Because it must be optional because you're talking about all this monetary relationship we have to have. If we treat it as medical necessity, let's go. So when a patient says to me, well, what is this going to cost? Which, by the way, doesn't happen very often. Because I treat it like medical all the time. But I would say it actually happened this week. She said, I have one more question. She said, what does all this cost? I said, well, actually, it's covered by your medical insurance. Oh. They usually just go, oh. See, they're, they're still wondering, is this dental? Does it come out of pocket? It's covered on your medical insurance. Now, if a patient asks that question again and says, you know, I have a $5,000 deductible in this January. I'm paying this whole thing out of my pocket. What does it cost? Then I could say to them, well, the good news is you've got Blue Cross. And we're in network with Blue Cross. And the maximum allowable fee that Blue Cross lets us charge is $24.56. So the most it could possibly cost you out of pocket is $2,456. I would say that to a patient. Mm-hmm. What I really said to the patient, not in these words, is, oh, you want to know how much it costs because you're afraid I'm going to rip you off. Mm-hmm. I look like that kind of guy, don't I? <laughs> kind of shady. Love it. Yeah. So, okay, here's the good news. I don't set the fee. Your insurance company, who oversees and protects you from all things evil, Sets a fee, and they, not me, they decided it's two thousand four hundred fifty-six bucks. Patients go, okay. Is that true in all states? No, that's my Michigan number. Uh, okay. 
Well, no, I don't mean that that's the number, but that all states have a number. So most insurance companies have a fee uh, if you're a network. And we play like we're a network, even if we're not. And that's the, the, the discussion here is not to decide, hey, this is you should be a network, you shouldn't be a network. That's a whole other podcast and discussion you can have with an insurance expert rather than me. But we are a network with Blue Cross and a couple of others. Not Some of them won't let us be a network. Um, we are enrolled in Blue Cross, but we don't participate with their fee schedule. That way we can um, bill the uh, supplemental insurance that they have. But that, that conversation means if I have 100 patients, maybe not 20, but I'll say that 20 of them ask me, how much does it cost? And I say, well, it's actually covered in your medical insurance. 10 of them just go away. Okay, fine. The other 10 go, well, I got a high deductible. I have that discussion. Eight of them go away. Now I got two out of 100 that actually go, I don't know. And I just, yeah. then, then I just go, listen, you need to have this done. The cost of not doing anything is far higher than the cost of doing something. Mm-hmm. You can do this or you can do CPAP. Those are really your choices. Yeah, do something. And if you say, I can't afford it because I have a $5,000 deductible, then all I'm going to say to you is, what can you afford per month? Because I want you to get treated. And now if they say 50 bucks a month, I say, <laughs> go see somebody for a CPAP. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing that deal. But if they say, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks a month, I go, fine. I'm thinking 12 months, $200 a month, we can get, we get done with this, right? Yeah. I can come to finance. I don't have to do that very often. I'm not, yeah. I'm not looking to be in the finance business, but it's about, I want that patient to know they need to get treated. Yeah. And my job, if, if, I, if I'm making enough money, my job is to help them. But patients don't come in asking about the money, really. We yeah. bring up the money. We alert them to the money. We sensitize them to the money. They come in asking three questions. And these are the three moments of impact that we're supposed to have on patients. Somewhere early in our discussions, we have to let them know how serious sleep apnea is how life-threatening it is, how life-shorting it is, how comorbidity emphasizing it is and augmenting it is. We have to let them know that we can treat it. We can treat it with CPAP. That works like almost 100% of the time, but it's hard to wear. Yeah. And ours is easy to wear, but it doesn't always work, maybe 75 or 80% of the time. So it doesn't always work. We have to hold on. We have to give them hope. I, I do a simple thing. I lean ahead back, make a snoring sound, then stick your jaw forward, try and make a snoring sound, and it's hard. Yeah. Go, see, that's what we do. I give them hope. Yeah. The three questions that I'm trying to answer for them in advance is, do I have this disease? I don't know. You're at risk. We did the stop bang. You've got four out of the eight, five out of the eight. We need to get you tested. That's only way we can say for sure. Do I have this disease? Is it serious? Hell yes. I think I've scared the shit out of you talking about all this other stuff. <laughs> and can we treat it? I gave you hope. And I gave you realistic percentages, 80%. And I told you that usually... The snoring, which you was, that was really your complaint, that happens a lot. Usually that goes away with the sleep apnea, but sometimes, not often, sometimes they don't couple. And sometimes the AHI score, the number of times per hour that you have one of these events where you don't get enough oxygen, you don't get enough good air, that number goes down great, but you still snore. I hate when that happens, but yeah. honestly, snoring yeah. is not a clinical problem. It's just, like you said, it's a stained teeth thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and sometimes the opposite happens. Sometimes the snoring goes away, but your number of events stays high, mm-hmm. in which case you have to go back on CPAP. Yeah. The only way we can tell that is we're gonna do a test to get you tested to see if you have sleep apnea. If you do, we'll treat you. And when we treat you, we'll do a follow-up test. Just like, and I remind them, just like when you come in and you have hypertension, we put a blood pressure cuff on, we measure blood pressure, I give you medication, you come back in and measure blood pressure. Cuff. I draw blood, I look at your cholesterol. Oh, it's high, take this pill. Well, that's not working, try this pill, change the dose. We titrate, we adjust till the numbers come down, same thing. Yeah. I set them up for this pre and post story, pre-test, post-test, because a lot of patients, 
are sleeping better and feel better and not snoring, they don't care about getting the test. They think they're in treatment. And they probably are, but we don't have confirmation. So I, I try to make a big, but I answer those three questions. Do I have this disease? Is it serious? And can you treat it? And we try not to call it mild. Mild, because mild. You said mild. Right. Don't mild. This is mild. Don't worry about it. It's mild. It's moderate. Severe. Right. We call it your stage one disease, stage two disease, stage three, stage three, kind of like in stage. That sounds like cancer. Cancer talk. Stage one, stage two, stage three. When do you want to get your cardiovascular treatment done? Do you want to do it when you have 25% blockage of your artery, 50% blockage? You want to wait till it's 90. Right. You just have a little mild blockage of your arteries, moderate blockage of your arteries. You have cardiovascular disease. Right. You know, here's what we need to do. You need yeah. to stand, you need to change your diet. So there's a lot of stuff that we could learn by just listening and watching our physicians. And because when I walk out of my physician's office, I, I'm just, I stand there and I go, so do I have anything for today? They always say, I don't know. No, we'll bill, we'll bill your insurance and we'll send you a bill. And then sure enough, three months later, I get a bill for 168 bucks. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And I look back at my calendar. Oh, I went to the doctor that day. There must be with that and I read a check. That's what people do. Are there going to be people that stiff you if you don't talk about money? <clears throat> Guaranteed. Yeah. Guaranteed that'll happen. But not 10% unless you live in the worst economic milieu that's possible. So don't let our dental thinking about money get in the way of being successful in dental sleep medicine. That would be my message. Answer their three questions. Do not bring up money. If they ask about money, by all means, deflect it the first time, kick it to the side of the road by saying, well, actually that's covered under your medical insurance. Oh, it's interesting you talked about the, uh, you know, scaring the crap out of them. So I was telling you my story earlier that I, uh, daughter, thought I was dying, woke me up, took a video, sent it to my doctor friend. He said, hey, you almost certainly got sleep apnea. Go to the sleep doctor. I went to sleep doctor. They explained to me what sleep apnea is, and they told me how, how off all the wonder, all the terrible things. You could die. You're probably going to die before you hit the parking lot. This yep. is horrible. Got to get it treated right away. So let's go. Went, let's go. Let's yeah. go. Went home. Took the test, took it back. Didn't hear from him for two or three weeks. Could have died. Uh, could have died. Um, I called back and said, you know, what's the deal? And they said, well, we're talking to your insurance about doing an in-sleep test or in, what do they call that when you go? Uh, in-lab test? In, yeah, in-lab, sorry, in-lab. Yeah. Two or three weeks, it didn't happen. And I, so finally, the guy wouldn't respond to me. I just wrote him a really nasty review. And I just said, hey, I went in to see this doctor and he told me how critical it was right. and that and and then I, I don't hear from a staff for I, I think I posted this in early so I think it was August and I started I, first time I saw him was in May and he called me and he said I really want you to, to take that down like that, that, and I said, he said I really want you to review my sleep test and tell me how it went <laughs> yeah. I said I said well which part of it's not accurate did do you you did tell me how severe this was and all the horrible things it could lead this to awesome. he said, yeah and I said, and, and I did, in fact, come to your office three times, and I still don't have a sleep apnea device. I don't have a CPAP I had to try because I knew I had to try CPAP first. So I still don't have a CPAP device. So which part of that review is not accurate? And he said, can I call you back in a few minutes? And I said, yeah. And he called me back in a few minutes, and he said, you're going to be getting a call very soon from the, the, the people we work with that do CPAP stuff. I'm going to get it to you. And, you know, If I do, will you take the... the I said, I'd be happy to. I said, I don't want to leave you a nasty review out there, but but you should be aware that's exactly what you did. Yeah. You scared the crap out of me. And then when it wasn't convenient for you to follow up, um, either I'm really not knocking at death's door or I am and you don't care. 
th- those are kind of your options. And, uh, and you know, he got me the CPAP and I hated it and I wear Prasomnus and here we are. There you go. Yeah. Thank you for that plug. Yeah. Oh, you're very well. I'm buying drinks. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yes. Go all right. Well, thank you so much for my doing pleasure. for being my very first uh, podcast mm-hmm. guest. This Maybe first, awesome. second, third, fourth, and fifth. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, we broke it into several segments. Or you oh, may, will they be able to tell? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I didn't ruin the surprise today. You, in fact, may be the last. Cause oh. people, well, oh. I'm just saying people are going to watch this and listen to this. And so oh, I've had enough of that. No, but hopefully I think, not. I think uh, keeping the podcast short is important. I've done some podcasts where they were long. And I think um, I, I lose my attention span. You know, I like little snippets of things. So I love the way you tried to break it up. I hope that does work out well yeah. for you. Yeah, I hope so. You've got so much to give. And you've got so many people like me that you can tap into. You're going to get... 10 or 20 more me's out there and, and all these other days of podcasts and so you're going to have a blast with this. Yeah. So, thanks. Well, the, have me back after the, you've had 10 or 12 other people. I will. Well, the first one was fun. All right. Thank all right. you. Thank Appreciate you. it, brother.